0: Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, Growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables?
1: We've been in the gospel of Mark uh, for the last couple months. We'll be in the gospel of Mark for most of the year. Uh, And uh, we've got a number of verses to cover. And because of the dedication, I'd like to make this, uh, I'm going to try and make this a shorter sermon for you. Uh, and, uh, if, I mean, if you've been with us, you're probably thinking like, oh man, my prayers have been answered. Uh, but for that reason, I'm just going to dive right in. And so, uh, so we're just rounded the corner from Mark chapter three into Mark chapter four, of the gospel of Mark and the gospel of Mark is really, it's just a great book, uh, written by John Mark that sort of cuts through all the assumptions that we tend to make about who Jesus is. Mark kind of cuts through all the assumptions that we make about Jesus and helps us get acquainted with the real Jesus. You see, even in his own day, even in Jesus' own day, people had all kinds of assumptions about who Christ was, about who Jesus is. And Jesus, we've seen, is again and again sort of confronting those assumptions, showing us that he can't be boxed into a single category. He transcends all categories. It reminds me, of like earlier this week, uh, we, we had uh, these, uh, they're called It's It. Uh, ice cream sandwich bars you guys familiar with that Uh, these things are amazing it's it it's like an ice cream sandwich which uh, it kind of starts off with two oatmeal cookies right so you start with two oatmeal cookies you're thinking like oh like breakfast right Uh, but then they stick ice cream in the middle of it and so it's like okay so it's like dessert now Uh, but then they dip the whole thing in chocolate and then it's just it's just perfect right? Uh, it, it's a perfect dessert. It transcends all the categories of dessert and breakfast and chocolate coveredness. And, uh, and Mark is kind of like that. Mark is kind of showing us how Jesus transcends all the categories that we tend to try and box him into. So he's, he's not, Jesus isn't just, you know, like homeboy Jesus who wants, who wants to chill and hang. And he's not just ivory tower Jesus that sort of sits and judges from afar. No, Mark shows us that Jesus is bigger than that. He's better than that. He's not just a God of power and not just a God of love, but his power is defined by his love. He's totally different. He's unlike any other, totally transcendent. And what we've seen so far in the Gospel of Mark is that as, as people in this book are confronted with the reality of who Jesus is, as they're getting to know him and hear his teaching for the first time, seeing him perform these miracles, and as they're confronted with the real Jesus for the first time, we've seen that people respond to him in a a number of totally different ways. You've got the religious establishment of the day that should have been on the side of Jesus, but now they're plotting to destroy him. You have his own family who thinks he's totally delusional calling himself God in the flesh. You have crowds that are gathering that are just curious about him. Can he really do what people are saying that he does? then you have these disciples, this band of followers that have been following him around this group that surprisingly left their careers and their livelihood just to follow this guy who claimed to be the promised Messiah that was going to save the sins of people from, from their sins in the world. So now why are there people, why, do we see, why are we seeing people again and again who meet the same Jesus And they hear the same gospel of the kingdom that Jesus is preaching, and yet they respond to him in so many different ways. Why is that happening? And Jesus is going to answer that for us in our text this morning in Mark chapter 4. And so go ahead and read verse 1 with me. If you don't have a Bible, it will be up on the screen for you. Verse 1 of Mark chapter 4 sort of sets the scene for us. It says in verse 1 again, He, speaking of Jesus, began teaching. Uh, He began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, around him, so that he, Jesus, got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea, up on the land. And so, this right here is a big teaching moment for Jesus. Crowds have been gathering. They're all on the hillside. And there's so many people there that there's not even room for Jesus on the land. Like you got to picture this. I want you to picture this scene. People are flocking from all over the land. They're flocking from all over to hear Jesus teach. They've heard about his teaching. They say he teaches as one with authority, unlike any other religious leader. And so people are coming. They want to hear from him. They want to see his miracles. So things are getting crowded. They're running out of room. And Jesus is just like, you know what? Here, take my spot up on the hill here. I'm just going to go talk from the water. I'm going to turn that boat into a pulpit. This was before they had like sound stages and amplifiers. And so the water and the slope would sort of amplify his his voice to this massive crowd as he's preaching from the water. And here in Mark chapter four, we see that he teaches his first parable, his first parable. And we're going to look at three points this morning. First, what is the purpose of parables? Secondly, we're going to see four ways that people respond to the word. And third and last, we're going to see what is the significance of the seed in the story. So let's look at this first one, the purpose of parables. Read the next verse for me in uh, uh, verse two. It says when Jesus was teaching them, uh, or, or Jesus was teaching them many things in, what does it say? In parables. And so our first big question is, what is a parable? What is a parable? Now the first thing you need to know about parables is that they are always kingdom stories. They're pictures of the kingdom The kingdom of God. They're extended metaphors from real life that teach us something about the kingdom of God. And so we tend to think of parables as sort of these moral stories that teach a moral lesson, like the Good Samaritan story, right? The Good Samaritan, the most famous parable of all. Treat your neighbor well. Like we tend to think that that's what the point of parables, that they're just moral stories with a moral lesson. But they're kind of that. But they're actually so much more better than that. They're so much more nuanced, so much more better than that. Instead of just a moral lesson on what is right and wrong, parables for us, they actually paint this broad stroke picture of what the kingdom of God is like and how the kingdom of God works. Parables give us sort of a picture, a glimpse of what God's kingdom looks like here on earth as it is on heaven, as Jesus prayed. There's a character named Ransom in C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy, and he describes like the old uh, religious stories of this planet that he's on uh, in these beautiful words. He says that these stories are like gleams of celestial strength and beauty falling on a jungle of filth and imbecility. That's like what a parable is. A parable is like a gleam, a picture of heavenly strength, of godly beauty and truth and goodness falling on the mess of this world that we call humanity on our filth and our imbecility to give us a picture of the good life, of the kingdom life. So that's the first thing I want us to know about parables is that they're always kingdom pictures, kingdom stories. Secondly, the second thing I want us to understand about the purpose of parables is that they're always meant to to draw Jesus' disciples in. Parables are meant to draw Jesus' true disciples in. It's sort of an invitation on who's really about me. That's what Jesus is saying. Who's really interested in who I am, in my message? I'll show you an example from our text. Uh, After after telling the parable in verses three through nine, uh, in verse 10, it says that when Jesus was alone, after he told the story, then those that were around him with the 12 disciples, they asked him, they cornered him and asked him about the parables. And they said to him, or he said to them, uh, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. Now, these verses right there, they, they, they bother some people. They bother some people because it kind of sounds like Jesus is saying, hey, I'm telling parables so that those other people won't, won't get my point. Right? That's what it sounds like. Hey, the reason that I'm speaking in parables in these stories, is because I don't want those other people to get the point I want to get across, which is, I mean, kind of sounds messed up, right? Kind of sounds messed up, but the best way to understand what he's getting at is to really look at parables parables as sort of like a a practical uh, filter. Parables are practical filters. So Jesus is really saying, look, those who are really interested in who I am those who are really interested in the message that I bring, those people, the ones who are really interested in me are the ones who really want to figure it out. They're the ones who really want to feel the power of the kingdom. Those are the people that will draw near and digest this parable. you tracking. And so, this is, is actually why only a small group of people approach Jesus in verse 10 and corner him when he's alone and say, hey, Jesus, explain this parable to us. Like the rest of the crowd, they don't hunt him down for answers. This crowd did. Jesus spoke in a parable. The parable goes out there and there's a group of people that are like, Don't know what he's saying. Not really interested anyways. So we're not really going to press in further. But those who are Jesus' true disciples, they press in and they're like, hey, we want to chew on that more. We want to understand what you're trying to teach. Those who are truly listening are drawn in. The rest of the crowd isn't drawn in because they're not truly invested. And so parables are a way of really inviting some people in and calling other people out. That's why in verse 9, Jesus says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's kind of like how some people can appreciate some mediums of art, and others can't, right? Like how some of us have an appreciation for like 80s post-punk music and new wave, while others don't have an appreciation for good music like that. But but seriously, like it, it, it's one thing. It's one thing to know what a song with like heavy synthesizer sounds sounds like, right? It's one thing to know what that sounds like, to have an idea of the sound in your head. But it's something else entirely to experience and digest an entire Depeche Mode album, right? It's something else entirely. Like, for years, I've, I, I, like, never read fiction. For years, I never read fiction. I, I didn't start reading books until about college, right? Like, I kind of cheated my way through all my, my English essays in high school. And by that time, by the time I was in college, I only read nonfiction because I just wanted to learn, I don't know why I didn't care to learn growing up. But when I was in college, I, I just wanted to learn. And so I was reading biographies and history and books on science and philosophy and on atheism. And then when I got, became a Christian, then I started reading theology. But I wouldn't read fiction. I wouldn't read fiction because I thought fiction stories are a waste of time. I would say, you know, if, if it's not about like this concrete idea that I can actually like chew on. And, and ruminate over, then, then I'm just going to pass, right? I'm not interested in that. Uh, and my problem was I had no understanding or appreciation for for fiction, for stories. Uh, that is until I met my wife, who was an English major, and then about six, seven years ago, my wife and, and some, uh, she was my uh, fiance at the time, uh, my that my wife and and, and some friends uh, they started introducing me to the worlds of like poetry and, and fiction and and some of my favorite theologians that I was listening to they would talk about how fiction is uniquely equipped to teach like experience and, and empathy and and so I started reading like creative nonfiction like Eric Larson and then the short stories of C.S. Lewis and then I took the Harry Potter series with me on on our honeymoon and now I love fiction. No, I love fiction. I read it all the time. I gained a taste and understanding and appreciation for it that I didn't have before. And see, the parables kind of do that for Jesus' true followers. When Jesus is telling these stories, there's a group of people that are just like not interested, don't understand, not translating at that frequency. But then there's some of them where the spirit of God starts working in their hearts, wooing them with his message. And they're like, man, we want to learn more. We want to dig. We want to press in. Simon Kistemacher, this reformed scholar who passed away last year, he, he wrote, when we hear a parable, we nod in agreement because the story is true to life and readily understood. Although the application of the parable may be heard, it is not always grasped. We see the story unfold before our eyes, but we do not perceive the significance of it. The truth remains hidden until our eyes are opened and we see clearly. Then the new lesson of the parable becomes meaningful. That's how parables work. And so now that begs the question for us, how can we see clearly, right? How can we see the message of a parable like that? How can we respond to the word rightly? And that leads us to our next point where we see four ways that people respond to the word. Now I'm going to read the parable in its entirety and then we're going to go back and watch Jesus explain it for us. Uh, Let's go back again to verse two with me. It says, when Jesus was teaching them many things in parables, uh, and in his teaching, he said to them, listen, listen, he's inviting them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. Any farmers here? I think my brother-in-law might be like the only one who's got a green thumb, right? Like, we 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 and there's probably no farmers here because we live in middle class class uh, suburbia, right? We live in middle cra- class said it again, uh, suburbia. So when so when I talk about sowing seeds, when we read about sowing seeds and scattering seeds on the ground, like like nobody here has a picture for that reference. Like the most seeds I've ever seen at once are the ones that come on like my everything bagel, right? But Jesus was speaking this parable to a first century agrarian society. And so everyone listening in, they got this reference. His whole audience got this reference. They would have been able to picture it. When Jesus paints this picture about how some guy's sowing seed, like like they're picturing like their neighbor Phil out on his farm scattering seed on, on the ground. And and back then, you wouldn't you wouldn't have like, you know, like for my front lawn, I've got like this plastic thing with the thing that you churn and then the seed spreads out. But back then, you'd have like this giant sort of fanny pack with this basket attached to it to your hip. And what you would do is you'd take your whole arm and scoop up as much seed as you can and just flip it out like that. You would just fling it out and, uh, and, and, and throw uh, the, the, the seed as far out as you can to, to scatter it wide. Now read what happens next in, in verse four. It says, when this, this sower, remember Jesus is telling a story here. When he, the sower, sowed the seed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And then when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it just withered away. Another seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So that's the parable. Now, the good news for us is that in this particular parable, Jesus actually explains to his disciples what this whole parable means. And we see him start that in verse 13. Read it with me. And Jesus said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And then he explains it in verse 14. He says, the sower sows the word. So the seed is a representation of the word. Now, really quick, the word referenced here is not like when we see the word, like when the Bible talks about the word, we tend to think Bible, right? Scriptures. But here, with that word for word referenced here in the Greek is the the word logos, Logos is a Greek word which, liter- which very uh, specifically refers to the word, the good news about Jesus himself. That's what the Logos is. That's the word being sowed. And so it's the good news about who Jesus really is. What Jesus really came to do. That he's a king unlike any other king. The kind of king who goes to a cross. And then he continues explaining in verse 15. And he says, now these, these are the ones, these are the seeds along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And so that's the the first way that uh, people might respond to the word is the seed on the path represents those who have hard hearts those who have hard hearts. The soils in this parable are, again, a picture of the human heart. And so the pathway, the seed that falls on the pathway represents seed that falls on a hard heart, where the ground is hard, and so the seed never really sinks in. You ever notice, like, when you go, when you go hiking uh, and you get to, to this place where you're not really sure um, where to go, you look for the path that's most trodden right the one that the one path that seems to have the most clearing because on a path the dirt gets compacted down, it gets hardened down. And you know, that's where you're supposed to walk. And so that's the picture Jesus is painting for us here. He says the sea that falls on a path, it's like sea that falls on a hard heart. If it falls on a, on a, on a, on a trodden path like that, it's not going to take because it's the, the ground is so hard. And so this could be like someone who hears the word, but they don't really embrace it because their heart is hardened to the gospel message. So this could be like, you know, my, my friend Oscar, one of my best friends who actually, he's normally helps lead from the front here, but uh, he's out of town for work with our, our church planning network uh, this weekend. Uh, but Oscar, uh, when, when we first met each other in college, each of us were coming like fresh out of agnosticism and, a, a, and atheism. And Oscar's brand of atheism was the kind where he was like really hardened and angry at God which is an interesting posture to take up, to be angry at the God you don't believe exists, right? But Oscar was like that kind of guy. He was the kind of guy who would seek out Christians and befriend them just so that he could show them why they're such closed-minded fools. He was that guy before Jesus changed his heart. And it's almost like he was being influenced, had a hardened heart. Maybe that's you this morning. I'm sure there's some of, some of you that kind of fit that bill this morning where you're not really interested in spiritual conversations or spiritual realities. And if that's you this morning, we just want to say we're stoked that you're here. We're glad that you're here. And we hope that you feel welcome while you get your questions answered. And we hope that you stay as long as you feel comfortable. One of the things I actually love about this new church family, we launched this church uh, just about a year ago. And one of the things I really love about King's Cross is that we actually have a large handful of you who would actually say, you know, I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I have some honest questions about what that means. Our goal as a church has always been to create a safe space for people like that, where regardless of where they're at on the faith spectrum, where they can come with their doubts and their honest questions to come seek and explore this ancient faith. And as the scriptures say, to taste and see that the Lord is good. A hardened heart might also be someone who has like faith in Jesus, but their faith is is only intellectual. It's only theoretical. So it's where you like you go to church, you read all the right theology books, but it's actually the, the stuff you're learning, the information that you're 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 reading and digesting, it's not actually making a personal penetrating plunge into your heart. You're all head and no heart. And so we should you should ask yourself, like, have I ever come under the power of truth? Have you ever had a sense of the truth's power? Ask yourself, is my Christianity like abstract ideas out here, out there? Or is it this, this personal relationship? Is it this personal experience? Does the truth of God move me? Do I love God? Does, does the love of God woo me? And if not, If not, then the word is not digging down into your hardened heart. So that's the first soil. The first response is a hardened heart. Read verse 16 with me for the next one. Jesus says, and these, the seeds that are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And so this would be like, the, the rocky ground would be a, a picture of someone who has like a shallow heart. A shallow heart. You see, the problem with this soil is not so much that it's too hard, but that it's too shallow. Shallow. And this is someone who has like an amazing emotional response to the gospel of Jesus, where they spring up and they're pretty stoked and excited about who Jesus is. This emotional response. And they've moved beyond the intellectual knowledge and they're genuinely excited. They've got the stickers on the back of their car or on their water bottle. They download all the worship albums. There's this visible joy there. But because the ground is shallow, and because they have no real roots to handle the scorch of the sun, then they can't take the heat. You can't take the heat. And so even though there's an emotional response to who Jesus is, and they'd say that, that Jesus changed them, and man, this, is, this should be scary for some of us. When we read this and we, we got to genuinely ask ourselves, man, is this me? Do I fall in this category? Is my relationship just an up and down sort of emotional one with Christianity? Where as soon as troubles arrive or as soon as you find out about that, that, that cancer or child passes away or spouse says they want a divorce or separation or a family member, a friend, or maybe a professor starts criticizing your faith with challenges that you're unprepared for. And then you say, well, I don't want to believe in Jesus anymore. This is too hard. I can't believe that God is good with this stuff going on. Or maybe it's, it's that as soon as you lose things important to you, then you turn your back on God and say, you know, if I can't have these things, then, then what use is Jesus for me? But See, if, if you say, you know what, I'll love Jesus, I'll follow him, I'll be excited about him if he gives me this, then whatever's on the other side of that if, I mean, that's your functional Savior. That's your true God. And trials and persecution kind of bring that to the surface that you don't have any real roots. Your relationship is just an emotional one and it's not truly rooted. There's no real roots present. And so that's the second soil, the second response. Now look at verse 18 and 19 for the third type of response where it says, and others, Other seeds are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. And so for this one, for this third response, the thorny soil is really a picture for us of a stifled heart. Of a stifled heart. And so this is, it's not that the soil is, is, is hard or shallow, but it's that it's just, it's just crowded. It's a picture of a stifled heart. It's like, it's like this rich young ruler who, who ran up to Jesus elsewhere in the New Testament. This rich young ruler ran up to Jesus and asked Jesus, what do I need to do to be with you? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replies to him, for you, will you be willing to give what you have to the poor And then follow me. And the guy basically goes, well, I mean, don't really want to follow you that bad, right? You see, he was worshiping really two things. And just like we said a moment ago, like his riches were his real God. And so ask yourself, like, what is the one thing that you're holding onto, like a madman that you just can't let go of? Maybe that's you this morning where you're kind of in this category where, where something's keeping you from going all in. Maybe you grew up in church. You know how to do the Christianity culture thing, but you've never had a Jesus has never been your lord in like any real or true sense of that word. What is the one thing that you're holding on to that you just can't let go of that you don't want to give up? What relationship? What addiction? What lust, what apathy, what hatred, what is the one thing that you get more defensive about than anything else? Where is the war for your soul going on in your heart? What is that one thing? That's a stifled heart. And then we see in verse 20, a picture of the fourth heart that says where, Those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And so this here, the good soil is a picture for us of really a transformed heart, a softened, transformed heart that belongs to the Lord Jesus. Finally, some good news, right? Finally, a good picture. Sometimes the word of the gospel, it lands on good soil. Notice there's more ways for it to land on bad soil than on good soil. But sometimes it does land on good soil. So, this is like the disciples of Jesus who left their livelihood and said to Jesus, Look, I'm all in. I'm putting all my chips on this table. I'm following you. I'm in. I'm stepping into your kingdom. I'm tired of living in the kingdom of darkness. I want to live in this this kingdom of light that you bring. I'm tired of living in, in shackles. I want to live in the freedom, the liberation that you bring. Finally, some good news. That's what good soil is. That's when the seed of the gospel goes deep. It goes deep. So ask, where in your life do you need your soil to change? where in your life is the soil where in your heart is it too shallow is it too stifled is it too hard where do you need a transformation of your heart where do you need the seed of the gospel of the good news to go deep you see for some of us it's a salvation issue For some of us, it's a salvation thing where you need to give your hardened life, your hardened heart to Jesus so that he can make you new. Give you a new life, a true life with beauty and purpose that you didn't even know existed. For others, it might be about about healing. Maybe from like a past hurt that has scarred you. Maybe a past church that has scarred you. Maybe a past mistake that you've made that's haunting you. But for some, it's time to just dig deep and get roots. To go all in. To to embrace the way of Jesus. To embrace the community of Jesus by the spirit and grace of Jesus. You see, the most important thing to not miss... In this passage, the most important thing that I do not want you to miss is the fact that you're the soil and Jesus is the gardener. You're the soil. Your heart is the soil and Jesus is the gardener. You see, the soil's job is not to get the rocks out. The soil's job is not to pull the thorns out. That's the gardener's job. Your job is to receive the seed, to hear the word. And so ask yourself, is this your posture this morning? Is your posture where do you come to the hearing of the word of God this morning with the soft vulnerability of knowing that you have a needy heart? That there's something wrong in this world that just gnaws at you. You have a glimpse of eternity. You you just know there's something wrong with this world and you know deep down inside there's something wrong with me. Inside me. Do you come with the soft vulnerability of a needy heart, desperate for grace? A heart that's marked by, is this true of your heart this morning? Do you have a heart that's marked by humility? Expectancy, expecting to meet God this morning, to be changed by him. Are you open to that heart that has a desperate need for his divine grace? Do you come with a hunger, a hunger for more of God, a longing to feast at his table, to have more of his life, to see more of his truth, to see more of his goodness, to gaze more at his beauty. Is that true of you this morning? And if not, man, ask Jesus to go to work. Ask him to go to work on you. It's one of the most risky but rewarding prayers that you could ever pray. Jesus, go to work on my heart. Change me. Go nuts with that, you know? See what God could do. I want to close now I'm talking about the significance we have of the seed. There's a significance in the fact that Jesus is talking about his seed here. You see, Jesus compares his word with a seed. Like, why a seed? Of all things, why does he compare it to a seed? Why something so small, so vulnerable? Like, he could have used the Old Testament inner imagery of, like, a fire or a hammer or a sword. Or maybe, like, a stick of dynamite, right? But he chooses a seed. A weak and vulnerable seed. Like, you can't drop a seed on the ground and say, boom goes the seed. Right? That doesn't work. It's so small. It's so easy to lose. Disappear. He could have said, my word comes to consume and to crush people like a fire and like a hammer. That's actually what the Jews assumed about the coming Messiah in that day. One of the biggest false assumptions that they made about Jesus, the Messiah, is that he would come ruling with this iron fist to smite his enemies to find dust. But Jesus didn't come that way. In his first coming, he didn't come that way. He came not in a war transport, but to lay in a manger as a baby. He came subversively, unexpectedly, like a seed, vulnerable the reality of Jesus was so unexpected. The reality he's teaching of was so unexpected. So he was so not what they assumed. He was so not what they assumed that his own family thought he was nuts. And the religious leaders of his church thought he was demonic. The reality of Jesus and his kingdom, it just doesn't make sense. Like we said in the beginning, it transcends. Jesus transcends all categories. You can't box him up. You can't make assumptions about him. You can't fix him into your little nice and tidy like Jesus who just is made in my image, who supports my cause, who supports my hobby, who supports my political party. He transcends all of that. So Jesus uses to confound us, to show us how unexpected he is. He chooses and uses one of the smallest and most fragile, vulnerable metaphors to describe the breaking in of his kingdom. A seed. Why? Because seeds are are just sneaky like that, right? They're so unassuming like that. But a single seed has a potential to cover the entire earth in the forest if it has the right soil. But it takes time. And it has to go deep into good soil. And so how do you go deep? How do you get good soil? You hear the word, you accept it in humility. In the Greek, in verse 20, it literally says, listen in a way where you have the intent of actually responding. Is that how you hear the word this morning? Are you hearing in a way where you're intent on actually responding? Where you're intent on actually doing something with the word that you've received? Uh, Fun fact, I'm a bad listener (laughs) in my marriage. (laughs) Uh, If you know me, you know that I like to talk I like to tell stories. You also know that I'm a thinker. I'm a, I'm a, sort of like a, a, a visionary. I like to dream. I like to think of things. Uh, and you're going to think I'm an awful person for admitting this. Um, but my, one of my favorite times to think sometimes uh, is while my wife is talking. <laughs> uh, and so sometimes she's like talking and, 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 and I'm, I'm like thinking of something else. And she says, you know, hey, are you even listening? And I'm like, yeah, 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 totally. And she's like, you're not even listening right now, are you? And I'm like, yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> And she just calls it out, right? She's like, you're not really listening. And there's this, this funny instance once where I was reading a book on marriage and there was this one chapter, um, I think I may have shared this before, but there was this one chapter uh, that the title of the chapter was Listen, right? It was written for men in marriages, and there was a chapter called Listen, and it was all about, it was like I think it was the first chapter, it was all about becoming a better listener. There's all these exercises and examples of like active listening, right? And so it's like, you know, if you're listening, you want to make sure you have eye contact. You want to make sure that you affirm that you're listening. You want to nod. You want to say, "Uh-huh," and then you want to ask questions that are related to what's being said um, to show that you're. Li- I mean, it's mind blowing, right? I was like, "Dude, this is genius," right? And so uh, that night, uh, Alyssa and I are walking around uh, RSM Lake here, and uh, she's talking, and I'm like, "Uh-huh, yeah, okay, cool." Like, so, so, how did that make you feel, right? All right, so, uh, so tell me more about that. Uh, and after like the fifth question, she just stops walking and she looks at me and she's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> she's like, I, what, did you, what did you ask? She said, like, are you trying to psychologize me? Uh, she's like, something is not right here. Um, but you see, listening, truly listening, whether you're talking to your spouse, a friend, a neighbor, the word of God requires work, rewarding work. You listen with the intent of responding. And so what that tells us is that the way the kingdom is unleashed in your life, the way that you get good soil in your heart, is by when you take the word of the gospel and you're listening, you're, you're, you're thinking, you're reflecting You're chewing on it. You're discussing it. You're digesting it and you're digging into it. Take the teachings of Jesus and work it into you by the Spirit of God. Do that this morning. Take the teachings of Jesus and work it into you by the grace and the sovereign Spirit of God. Work it down deep like a seed. You see, the gospel of Jesus, just like a seed, has both the appearance of weakness, but also has the silent potential strength of a seed. It's not a message that everyone wants to hear. It's not trending on social media, but man, it's been slowly reaching the ends of the earth for the last 2,000 years. Jesus told this, this, this parable, this story on the side of a small sea right outside of Palestine. And here we are, 2,000 years later, on an entirely different continent, meeting on the Lord's Day to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Singing songs about the word of the gospel, opening up the word of the gospel, considering it, digging into it, praying over it. The strength, the silent strength of a seed. It is unexpected in the truest sense of that word, but it will blow your mind when you encounter its power. The gospel message is a message like a seed that starts small and unassuming. It's about death before it's about anything else, which how unexpected is that? What good can come out of a story about a a thing, a metaphor that starts with death about before anything else? Where a seed has to go into the ground and basically die so it can be broken open And usher in new life. It's a message about a single man named Jesus. And Jesus, the first time that he's ever mentioned in the Bible, there's a reference to him in Genesis 3, where he's referred to as the seed of the woman who would end all evil, all sin, and all death. And this seed, this seed, Jesus, the seed of the woman, he would die on a cross, and he did die on a cross, in our place, for our sins. And in his resurrection, he victoriously triumphed over all evil, sin, and death, and he went down first to the belly of the earth, but he didn't stay there. He didn't stay there. He rose to new life. He rose in victory. The first fruit, the Bible calls him, of a whole harvest. The first son of a whole adopted, ever growing, forever family. You, if you're a believer of Jesus, me, and all the saints throughout history, a seed is small, but it can produce a grand harvest. That is the surprising, unassuming, shocking glory of the kingdom of God. So let's marvel at that word. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If
0: you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.